Good morning. Welcome again to the story. If this is your first time here or if we haven't met yet, my name is Cale. I'm the campus pastor out at our Timber Grove campus out at 8200 Washington Avenue. And it's always really good to be with you guys here at the, at the River Oaks campus and to be with you guys that are joining us online. Now, if you're not familiar, our Timber Grove campus, we're only about seven months old, but we're not supposed to only be seven months old. We had initially planned to launch this campus on April 5th, 2020. We all know what happened a couple weeks before that. The pandemic hit and it delayed our launch from 2020 to 2021. The pandemic, it, it delayed a lot of things. I had over a dozen couples that I was doing their premarital counseling. I was officiating their wedding that had to postpone, had to delay their marriages, their weddings to 2021. Delayed a lot of things. It even delayed this Summer Olympics. So the Summer Olympics we've been watching for a couple of weeks was delayed from 2020 to 2021. And I've loved watching these Summer Olympics. They've been, they've been pretty great. And I'm sad that they're wrapping up today. Now, this may come as a surprise to some of you, but I have never trained for the Olympics before. I, I haven't, but five years ago, I was watching the Summer Olympics and I was inspired. I was gonna start working out. I was gonna get in the best shape of my life. So I knew that, that CrossFit or SoulCycle or anything like that probably wasn't gonna be for me. I knew that, uh, that a gym could be really time consuming could be really expensive, so I crossed that one off as well. So I decided I was gonna create a little workout space in my garage. I was gonna create a little gym in my garage. I go to Academy, I buy the mats, I buy the dumbbells, I buy the jump rope, I buy everything I need to get my little workout gym ready in my garage. I also asked a buddy to send me over his favorite workout plan. So he sends me over this workout plan. He said, it worked wonders for him. It'll work wonders for me. And if this story isn't embarrassing enough, I open up this workout plan and it says the bikini body workout. So, but I was determined I was gonna get in the best bikini body shape my wife has ever seen. So, so I was determined I was doing lunges, squats. I was crushing workouts, push-ups, sit-ups. I was like Rocky in that garage. And so as I was crushing these workouts, slowly but surely, my life got in the way. She became too busy. Maybe we would have friends over that night for dinner and, and I'd skip a workout or, or maybe I had to work late. But whatever it was, I, I slowly started to fall away from this training that I was so excited to start. And this was, this was before we had kids, so I didn't even have that excuse. I used the excuse... I just didn't have enough time. I was, I was just too busy. And, and that's the way that I was with my faith for a long time too. I, uh, I'd get really excited about a youth camp or about a new book or a new Bible reading plan or even a new church. And I would be crushing the Christian game until my life got in the way, until I became too busy or until it became uncomfortable or until I disagreed with something, or, or until it became a chore and I burnt out. I knew the goal. I just didn't know how to get there. And, and that's what we're talking about today is we're, we're wrapping up this, this short two-week 
little sermon series that we've titled For the Gold. And it's this Olympics-themed series. And if you missed last Sunday, my man Rolando killed his first sermon ever. And he taught us that the goal for the Christian life is to be like Christ. That the ultimate goal for the Christian is to be more and more Christ-like every day. That's what the word Christian literally means. The word Christian, it literally means little Christ. And if you've been around church at all, you may have heard that before, that the goal of the Christian life, it's to be like Christ. And then you've probably followed that with the question that we're answering today. So if the goal is to be like Christ, then, then how do I do that? How do I train to be like Jesus? And the Bible, it, it talks a lot about this. Specifically, the New Testament, it gives us a lot of athletic imagery to get us there. And it, and it, and it uses that because first century Greco-Roman culture, they were steeped, they were heavily influenced by the Olympic Games. The, the very first written records of the Olympics were in 776 BC. And these were held in Olympia, and they were during a, a religious ceremony honoring Zeus. They, they were so influential to the culture that ancient historians, they even used to mark time in four-year increments. It was called the Olympiads. So these, these initial events, they were the discus, the javelin, chariot racing. They were the 400 meters, the mile. They even had this event, it was called Pancration. And Pancration, it was, it was a mix of boxing and wrestling. It was like a, a UFC event with no rules. But everyone loved the Olympics Every young man aspired to be an Olympian one day. And the Apostle Paul, he was no different. The Apostle Paul, he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, and he was steeped in the Olympic culture. He lived, and he even planted a church in a city. It's called Corinth. And the Corinthians, they loved the Olympics so much that they couldn't wait every four years. So they decided to host their own games. It was called the Isthmian Games. And they hosted these Isthmian games. Every year, the Olympics didn't take place. And the Isthmian games, they became so popular that everyone from around the region, they would flood into the city. They would flood into the city of Corinth, but the city of Corinth wasn't big enough to accommodate this influx of people. They just didn't have enough housing. So what would happen? They would build these tents around the stadium. So they'd build these, these temporary houses around the stadium for people to stay for the couple weeks for the games. And what we know about Paul is his vocation was a tent maker in Corinth. He was a tent maker. So, so you can imagine that Paul, he's building these tents outside of the stadium and he's talking to the people about the games and about the gospel. These weren't just training grounds for these athletes. These were training grounds for Paul and his preaching. And Paul, he uses athletic imagery so much in his writing, and it's because this was such a formative part of his training. So, so in his letters, Paul, he uses this athletic imagery, and he teaches us how to train to be like Christ. And just as importantly, he tells us how we shouldn't train to be like Christ. He tells us how we shouldn't train. He gives us almost this spiritual list of do's and don'ts. So we're gonna talk about these three spiritual do's and don'ts on how to train to be like Jesus. And the first, it's do run with intentionality, don't run aimlessly. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter nine. It says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? 
run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Paul says, this is how you start. With intentionality, with a plan. I talked uh, earlier this week, I talked with one of the most well-known trainers in the Houston area. He, uh, his name's Terry Williams. You might know him as Terry the Trainer. And Terry is an awesome guy. He's, he's a gym owner. He's a faith leader. He's a coach. He's a husband. He's a dad. But he's the, he's the go-to fitness guy in the Houston area. And Terry told me that the number one reason why people fail in their fitness journey, it's because they don't have a plan. It's because they don't have a plan. 50% of people who sign up for a gym membership, they drop out within six months. 50% drop out with six months. I was that 50% who dropped out within six months. And it was because I didn't have a plan. I had a dream. I, I didn't have a plan. And the moment that my life got in the way, I didn't, I didn't have a plan to navigate the demands of life. With, without a plan, you'll only accomplish what your circumstances allow you to. So Terry says these people, they, they run around his gym aimlessly. They don't have a plan. They get bored and they quit. And then the second thing that he said, and this, this really stuck with me. He said that the people that tend to stick, out, stick it out the most, the people that, that tend to accomplish their goals the most are the people that are the most curious. It's the people that ask the most questions. He said, he'll know at the end of that initial training, who's gonna stick it out and who isn't. He says that the number of questions that people ask directly correlates to if they'll, they'll accomplish their goal or not. It's fascinating to me. And he compares these two different people. He says the first person they come in and they're only focused, their narrow mindset, it's to lose 10 pounds. So they come in and they'll blindly accept whatever anybody says in order to accomplish that goal. Or they think that they have it all figured out and they won't ask any questions. He said, those are the people that typically fail. He said, the other person. The other person comes in, they don't have this narrow of a mindset, but they come in and they're curious and they ask questions and they wanna, they wanna have a deeper, a healthier lifestyle. They don't wanna just look healthy. They wanna be healthy. He said, those are the people that stick it out. And it's, it's the same way with our faith. If we want to grow deeper, then we have to have a plan and you have to ask questions. So don't run aimlessly, run with intentionality. And the second do's and don'ts, it's discipline yourself, don't be deceived. This is 1 Timothy chapter four. This is Paul writing again. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. That Greek word that he uses for train, it can also be translated as discipline. Discipline yourself to be godly. Discipline has been a, a, a pretty big word around my house these days. My wife and I, we are, uh, we're raising two kids two and under right now. We have a daughter, her name's Becca. She's two years old and we have a son who's six months old today 
and his name's Drew. And, uh, and we have the best kids in the world, 95% of the time. 95% of the time, they are the best kids in the world. And 5%, it's like a war zone. Everything is a battle. If you haven't raised toddlers, a toddler before, think of, of any type of reasonable or rational behavior and then think of the opposite. Everything is a battle from getting her into her car seat to putting her clothes on, to, to leaving the park, to getting in and out of school, to eating together, to potty training. Potty training, which is basically like if you converted your entire house into a porter potty for three days. That's potty training, but everything is a battle. But there's been one discipline that my wife and I, that we have been adamant about from the beginning. And that's her bedtime routine. We have been adamant about that from the beginning. We have insisted, we have fought through literal blood, sweat, and tears for this, for this bedtime routine. It has been a battle. We have fought and fought and fought. In the beginning, it was a struggle. But every night, no matter what, we give her a bath, we put on our pajamas, we brush her teeth, we read her two books, and then we rock her in our chair and we sing Jesus Loves Me together. And that led to, to maybe my favorite moment ever as a parent last week. And, and this happened while we were putting her little brother to bed. We saw this. That's not a doll, that's my son. Um, that moment, that moment doesn't happen without the sleepless nights, without the months and months of insisting on this bedtime routine, of not giving in to her demands, of just keeping at it. That moment was because of that discipline. And I remember when I see that video, I remember the very first night, I remember all of the struggles and it makes that moment so much sweeter because that discipline, it produced that moment. And spiritual discipline, it, it can be painful at first, but it produces self-control. And biblical self-control, it looks really backwards to our culture. We're called to be stingy with our bodies and promiscuous with our wallets. We're called to, to pray and to fast and to withhold from even good things and not indulge in everything that we see fit. A self-controlled lifestyle, it's really foreign to our culture and it's so much better. The, the fruit of the spirit, self-control. We see in, in Galatians 5, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So self-control, it's not ultimately controlled by the self. It's ultimately controlled by the spirit. And you will burn out in your faith if you rely on yourself. You'll burn out. 
It happened to me. I thought that, that if I did all of these spiritual disciplines, that I would earn my way to godliness. I had to, I had to learn the hard way that, that spiritual disciplines, they're not in and of themselves godliness, but they're a path to godliness. That they're a path to godliness. And Jesus, he has some, he has some really stern words to say about this mindset, specifically to this group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they were the most religious, the most spiritually disciplined people that were out there. You could not outdiscipline a Pharisee, but Jesus said that they were the epitome of ungodliness. He said that they were like whitewashed tombs. They looked good from the outside, but they were dead inside. It's because they were deceived. They were deceived. They wanted to look godly a lot more than they wanted to be godly. So don't be deceived, be disciplined. Discipline yourself on a path to godliness. And then the third thing, it's do train others, don't just train yourself. You know, Jesus, he, he could have done his ministry by himself, right? He's, he's God. He can be in two places at once. He created the world and, and everything in it, but he chose to have 12 guys come and help him out. He invited them in. He chose them. He included them and he trained them up for his ministry and his kingdom. There isn't a leader in the history of the world that you know the names of their disciples, but Jesus. You know the names of his disciples. And he included and he invited them in and he trained them up for his ministry and his kingdom. Training others to be like Christ is part of your training to be like Christ. It's part of it. And that training, it, it never stops. And training others, it's not just, a, it's not just reserved for, for pastors. It's not just reserved for church staff or seminary students or, or for that one perfect Christian that you know. It's for you. You're called to, to not only train yourself, but to train others along the way. And if we're honest, the biggest threat to to training ourselves. The biggest threat to training others, it's not that we don't know how to. It's that we don't have enough time. It's that we're too busy. That's the most common excuse that I get as a pastor. It's that we're just too busy. And honestly, it's the most common excuse that I give. But if we, if we peel back these layers, if we really take an inventory of our time, it's, it's not that we don't have enough time. It's that we don't have enough desire. It's that we don't want to bad enough. And there is nothing more important in your life than awakening that desire, than praying to God for that desire, because that has eternal consequences. It has eternal consequences. Don't take the spiritual shortcut. I mentioned earlier that, that three years ago, I decided to step into full-time ministry. I was gonna become a pastor. But 
you're not just hired on to be a pastor. You have to go through a, a pretty extensive interview process. You have to go through a pretty extensive training program. So the first thing I did is, is I went over to St. Luke's and, and I had an interview with this committee to become a pastor. And they, they approved me. I did well in the interview. And, th- and then I got up in front of the entire congregation and I shared my story. I shared my story and then I got voted on. And it was near unanimous. Every single ballot was a yes, except I got one no. I'm thankful that I didn't need a unanimous vote to go through. So, so I got approved. I don't still think about that one no or anything. But so I went through, I got approved. And then I went through this, this series of tests, through psychological tests, through fitness tests, through personality tests. I went through multiple multiple one-on-one interviews with, with these Methodist higher-ups. I, I went through a, a mentorship program. I, uh, I even had this, this three-week intensive training, but, but every step of the way, it led to the final interview. And this final interview, it was with the district committee, and, and it's a pretty big deal. And so the, the district committee, it, uh, it's a... It's a group of about 15 people. And, and so I had I'd passed all the tests. I had done pretty well. I'd kind of flown through the process. And so I figured that, that I would do pretty well at this interview. So as I was preparing for this interview, I kind of took it easy. And during this interview, at the end of it, you can only get one of three answers. So you can either get a yes, you can get approved to be a pastor, you can get a not yet, and they'll tell you to come back within a year or so to, to see if you can get approved, or you'll get a no. And if you get a no, then you're done. You can't be considered to become a pastor again. So I step into this interview with these 15 people around the table, and they had the 15 sternest looks that you've ever seen in your life. I sat down, and I knew it probably wasn't going to go well for me. I sat down and, and I'm not the youngest guy in the world, but I was the youngest person in that room by 20 years. So right when I sat down, they started just grilling me with questions, just grilling me. They had all this information on me and they started peppering me with questions over and over again. And by the time that the interview was over, I didn't know what happened. I was sure that it was gonna be a no. So they asked me to, to step out of, of the interview. And, and so I, I stepped out and, and I was in this musty lobby, just stunned. I was shocked. And they deliberated for, for probably about 20 minutes. And they weren't deliberating on a yes. So I'm just like scrolling through my phone, trying to get my old boss's number to see if my old job's still available. Like I was, I was stunned. I was shook. And then they, they called me back in the office. And, and they told me what had happened. They said they felt that I rushed the process. They felt like I, I took a shortcut. They felt like, like I needed a not yet. They had decided to give me a not yet before I even stepped into that room. And so I got a not yet. And then I got approved six months later. And the thing about that is that throughout the entire two-year training process, Throughout every single interview, that setback is what I learned the most from. 
It was a lesson that I needed the most. It was a lesson that God wanted to teach me. Because maybe I, I did take a shortcut. Maybe I was rushing the process. I needed to learn that lesson of patience. And that lesson that has helped me throughout my ministry, throughout training myself, throughout training others more than any other lesson. Every lesson that God gives you, it's a lesson to pass on to someone else. Everyone, don't take a shortcut. Every Olympic medalist, they, they get up on the podium and, and they're beaming with pride. They have tears of joy streaming down their face and they're thinking about the countless hours that they've put in. They're thinking about every early morning about every sleepless night. They're thinking about all the training, all the hard work, the broken hurdles, the million times that they wanted to quit. And it makes that moment on that podium so much sweeter. Their training, it, it shaped them like, like a shortcut never could. You were created to be like Christ. That's the purpose. That's the goal for with which we train. I've chased a, a lot of other goals in my life. Not being disciplined, not having self-control, not being focused, not being curious. And I've chased those things long enough that I've, I've seen the end of that path. And it leads to, to emptiness to darkness, to isolation. But when you set your sights on the right goal, when you have a plan to see it through, when you have the discipline to reach that goal, when you have a God that picks you up when you fall short, it's when you're on a path to godliness. It's when you can, you can get a glimpse of the beautiful, godliness that we're chasing after. And that's when, that's when you can sing the song. It's when you can trust that the words in that song are true and you can sing, Jesus loves me. This I know. And that makes the training worth it. To know that, that Jesus loves you. That he died on a cross for you to forgive your sin and mine so that we can be with him forever. He's worth it. That makes the training worth it. Jesus, he's worth it. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you are a God who is worth it that you are a God that loves us so much that you have given us your son to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. God, let that sink into our bones this morning. Remind us of, of how much you love us. Remind us that the, that the self-denial, that the sacrifice, that all the years of asking if it's worth it, that they're worth it. Give us the courage and the confidence to chase, to follow, to train, 
to be like you because there's nothing better. There's no better goal. There's no better prize than you. God, give us more of yourself. Give us that desire this morning. We're thankful for who you are and what you've done. It's in Jesus' name, amen.